Good morning. Merry Christmas. It is so good to see each of you here this morning. And uh, as we get started, just want to give a couple of announcements. Um, really, the only really the only announcement going on is we don't have services tonight, and uh, or this Wednesday night. So we'll kind of start back our normal service times after the new year. So. Um, just be aware of that. Um, if you, when you leave, you are more than welcome to grab some snacks on your way out as well. Okay, because as always, we have way too much. Um, so if you uh, if you're going somewhere, you know they don't have very good food. Grab a donut on the way, and uh, hope maybe it'll maybe it'll get you through through lunch. Okay, so um, where am I going? No, I, I, I'm not taking any donuts with me, so. Um, but we're just, uh, we're so happy that we get to celebrate the birth of our Savior um, today together as a church family. And so as we do that, we're going to relight the Advent candle, um, the Advent wreath. And as we've, had, as we've done all, um, all month, since, uh, since right after Thanksgiving, we're going to light the hope candle because Jesus is the hope of the world. We're going to light the peace candle because Jesus brings peace between God and man and also between man and man. Um, We're going to light the love candle because Jesus showed his ultimate love by dying on the cross for our sins. And we're going to light the joy candle because there's great joy in knowing that we're going to be together one day in heaven celebrating forever the birth of our Savior, the death of our Savior, and the resurrection of our Savior. And so we also have the the Christ candle that we lit last night at, at Christmas Eve celebrating the birth of Jesus. So all that to say, once again, Merry Christmas, and uh, we're so thankful that we get to celebrate together um, as a church family. So let's pray, and then we'll begin worship together. Lord, we, uh, we love you, and uh, we are so thankful that you came to this, to this earth for us. Lord, that you came as a baby, Lord, that you lived a perfect life, that you died the death that we deserve, Lord, and that you rose from the grave so that one day, Lord, we know that we're going to have fellowship with you forever. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that is a first fruits of that that we get to experience now. And uh, Lord, as we go through the rest of our day today, and we celebrate with family, and we celebrate with friends, Lord, as we enjoy the company of one another. Lord, I just uh, I pray that we would never lose sight of the glory and majesty of who you are and what you've done. Lord, that we remember today, throughout the day, just how amazing it is, Lord, that we get to celebrate this together. Lord, just the, the, work, of, the work that you've done on our behalf. And uh, Lord, when we... May we worship you and praise you with with everything that we do and with all that who we are. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. If you'll stand, we're going to begin with uh, worshiping and rejoicing together this morning. Good Christian men rejoice.
We're going to continue singing with heart. The herald angels sing. Merry Christmas. I'm going to be reading, reading from Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. <laughs> in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. 
So everyone went to be registered, each in his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Gap, from Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them at the inn. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and in highest heaven and, in, and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A ray of hope, a for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O oh, hear the angel voices, O oh, night divine, O oh, night when Christ was born. Oh, night divine, oh, night, oh, night divine. Surely he taught us to love one another. His, oh, I forgot the word there. <laughs> His law is love. And his gospel is peace. 
chain shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we, let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord, oh praise his name forever, his power and glory evermore proclaim, his power and stand we're going to sing one more time together before our message this morning fun trivia for you in our computer guess how many verses go tell it on the mountain has seven so we'll sing all seven for bryson this morning i'm just kidding we'll just sing three but we did get to sing the whole song this morning so let's sing go tell it on the mountain together Cheers. 
joining me this morning. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank, us, thank you so much for just allowing us to be here this morning um, to celebrate the birth of our Savior, God. Lord, thank you um, that the story doesn't end at the manger. And thank you that he lived um, a life that was perfect, yet he bore my pain and my suffering, God, um, for my precious gift of salvation. Lord, thank you that that gift of salvation is extended to each person in this room, God. And if there's anybody who hasn't accepted it, Lord, there's no better Christmas gift than that. So, Lord, we just pray that this morning. We pray that um, our hearts will just be prepared for a special message and that our minds will be clear of everything else that's going to go on today and that we will just hear directly from you this morning, God. Lord, we pray that you speak clearly through your word, and we just love you and praise you and give you all honor and praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 3. There's a sense in which I think all of us would have been okay to hear Todd Hanley close and then go home. (laughs) Because such a gift uh, that we have in our brother Todd and his talents and just just who he is and um, the song that he sang. So I asked Todd to read Luke 2 because... For the moment, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 3. If you will, turn to Genesis chapter 3. And you might wonder, why in the world are we in Genesis chapter 3? Don't you have material from Matthew chapter 1 or Luke chapter 2 or some of the other Christmas narratives related to the birth of Christ? Well, we've gone through those through Advent and many Christmas seasons. It's one thing about Christmas, it rolls around uh, you know, as you know, every year for about a month, and so we exhaust a lot of those texts. I've, I've done a form of this sermon before at Christmas season, but, but never, I think, on a Christmas Sunday morning. It's special to be here on Christmas Sunday morning, right? And you remember as a child waking up on Christmas morning and enjoying your gifts And then can you imagine mom and dad saying, now we're going to go to church, (laughs) right? I don't feel that way about it anymore, but I can relate to those who as children uh, probably do. So this morning we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3 and we're going to see how God has given us in Christ the perfect gift. In fact, I'm titling the sermon this morning, The Wondrous Gift, borrowed from a hymn that I may refer to uh, later in the sermon. But think for a moment about your ideal Christmas experience. I mean, if you go way back, maybe it was Christmas morning at your home with your mom and dad and siblings. Maybe it was Christmas morning at a grandparent's house. And as a child, the wonder and the gifts and the food and the cousins and the aunts and the uncles and do y'all remember those days how idealistic it all seemed at that point in your life there was a lot that you didn't know at that point in your life you thought all the adults there were pretty normal (laughs) and then you grow up it's almost like the Christmases that we have now, we, we, we struggle to go back to the, to the ideal that we felt a, as a child. So the reason I introduced the passage this way is 
We're going back to the beginning. We're going back to Eden. And they actually experienced a type of Christmas gift in Eden. Okay? So you had paradise. And everything was perfect. And they fellowship with God. There was no uh, disharmony between uh, man and woman. There was no disharmony between man and God. I can't say a whole lot about that. Let's just, let's just go to the text. Genesis chapter 3, verse... Let's start with verse 7. So we're going back to the very beginning, which is a really good place to start. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened... And they knew that they were naked. And so they frantically and hurriedly, in my estimation, sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. There they are hiding among the trees from God himself. What, what's gone wrong? Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman, right? Oh, he's so wrong. <laughs> he's right and he's wrong. Oh, he's dead right, if you know what that means. The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Then the Lord God begins to pronounce judgment and sentences upon the characters in the narrative here. And so the Lord God says to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, there will be war and strain between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. The people that will be born through her will never find ultimate happiness and joy dealing with you and your kind. Then here is the first preaching of the gospel. The first announcement of the gospel is in Genesis 3.15. And this is one of the keys to understanding the whole rest of the Bible. He, personal pronoun, shall bruise or crush you on the head. Now a head crushing is a mortal, fatal blow. You shall bruise him on the heel. Which is suffering and difficulty and painful, but it's not, it's not a mortal crushing blow. So stay with me. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. 
Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Uh, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. You shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. Life will be sweaty. <laughs> Life will be sweaty. That's the Neil International Version inserted into the text here. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You are earthy, earthy, from the earth returning to earth. Then something interesting in verse 20. So the man then called his wife's name Eve, which means life or living. Why hasn't he named her yet? What were you thinking, Adam? I guess he's thinking, we're in this thing together. Might as well give you a name. Or maybe clowns to the left and jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. All right? It's it's much more than that. It's, It's deeper than that. So look at verse 21. Man, here is a Christmas gift in Eden. Now, they would not have understood it fully as I'm illustrating it or explaining it uh, I'm not sure obviously can't get inside their minds and heads what 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 they thought but 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 look at what God does in verse 21 this is a gift from God to them based on the whole rest of the story and how it unfolds the Lord God that's his personal powerful name the Lord God made something he made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them He clothed them. God made handmade clothing, garments for Adam and his wife in that crucial moment. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become one like, has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Not just being told about it, but experiencing it. And knowing about it. And now lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden. Banished, exiled, alienated from the garden of Eden. He's booted out of paradise and he can never go back. In fact there is a supernatural spiritual reason he can never go back. So he sent out from the garden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out. Isn't that an interesting phrase? He's driven out at the east of the Garden of Eden. He stationed the cherubim, these holy beings, and this flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way back to the tree of life. So there's no going back. There's no going back for you and me and all of our failed attempts to on our own make our way back to great grandma's Christmas back when we were children. Oh, we can't go back. But God has made a way and God promises a gift. 
that can take us forward into something far better than they lost in Eden. What a wondrous gift God promises. Father, thank you just for the reading of this word. My prayer is that I and we can understand it in a greater way and not only believe it, but apply it to our lives so that we can, in a difficult, fallen world, live with joy and peace and love and hope on a daily basis, that the Holy Spirit would make it operational and, and apply it to our lives and our circumstances, our relationships, our responses. Everything about us, Lord, can be lived, even east of Eden, in a healthy, godly way. For that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. It's so refreshing to get a gift at just the right moment that says, hey, I care and I love you and I think about who you are. Last night, Miss Crystal Rude, our wonderful administrative assistant, among other things, yep, Crystal, you just became a sermon illustration. <laughs> Last night, I think this was, was this before or after our service, I can't remember now, so much went on last night with that. She gives me a coffee mug which I need another one of those, right? Right. Be careful or you will end up in my sermon. That's a warning to all of you, but then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy for Miss Crystal. And I was like, wow, man, she's been paying attention. She knows the deal around here. At such a moment like that, here's a, here's a gift from someone who knows and cares, and it made a difference. Now let's multiply that on a, a cosmic scale, a much bigger scale. And let's think through the wondrous gift that God has given us that ultimately finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Now, now what we're going to see briefly here through Genesis chapter 3 is first the necessity of the gift of God's grace. First, the necessity of the gift. This is not a gift that's uh, give or take. I don't know if I'll use it or need it or not. Man, the gift that God promises in Genesis 3.15 is absolutely necessary or we are doomed forever. Now, I just want to review for us. We're not going to preach through this extensively. I'm just going to give you the words that I have to describe the condition that we are in now, living east of Eden. Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I don't know if we feel fine or not. You cannot judge what paradise and Eden were from the current state and the world and the mindset that we're in now. And that's where many people go faulty on understanding creation and the creation story. We're looking back into a supernatural, spiritual, and physical world that God was living in and everything was perfect. And we're trying to judge that creation story by where we are now. We are living in a house of mirrors in a large degree. And so you can't subject who you are and where you are now on what it was like then because God had stationed these spiritual beings with a flaming sword to guard the way back to that. And, and there's no going back. And also, there's no judging that based on where we are now. So we just need to listen to what he says about where we are and trust it and know it and believe it. Because here's where we are. We are in a disoriented world. 
How do I know that? Well, the Bible calls people without God lost. Not knowing where we came from, not knowing where we are, not knowing where we're going, we're lost. That's why Adam is asked by God himself, what's the number one question? Where are you? Where are you? God knew where he was. Who didn't know where he was? Adam didn't know where he was. We're disoriented. We're also living in a deceptive world. Having believed the father of lies, they themselves become dishonest. And they scramble to cover up and hide. What are they doing? What are they saying? They're now living in a world of deception. This is also a disruptive world. It's dysfunctional. Harmony's broken. They now realize they're naked and vulnerable and limited. They begin blaming one another, essentially blaming God for giving them one another. It's it's a world of disruption. It's also a difficult world. Sweat and toil. The Bible later says that man is short-lived and full of turmoil. Life stinks and then we die. That's the real cold, hard facts. What are we to do with it? Some of us just say, well, the struggle is real. I'll be a stoic. (laughs) Grin and bear it. The struggle is real. I'll be an Epicurean. I'll just seek to have as much fun and pleasure as I can while I'm here. Paul addressed both those groups in Acts chapter 17. That's another sermon. It's also a world of death and a world of displacement. We've been banished. We've been exiled. And all we really want to do is find our way back to our perfect home. Or to borrow our, perf- our, our perfect, our present illustration. We're trying to get back to Grandma's Christmas, all right, that we had many years ago. And now these that we have today just don't quite measure up to what we had back then. So that's the necessity of the gift. The necessity of the gift. Then I really want to spend, I guess, the bulk of the rest of the time talking about the nature of the gift. The provision of God's grace. So God makes a promise in chapter 3, verse 15 about the enmity and the crushing. And obviously that, to me, as we interpret the Bible straight and cut it straight, that is Christ himself coming ultimately to crush the head of the serpent and to undo the works of the devil and to reverse the effects of the fall, to save us, to rescue us because we cannot save ourselves. There's nothing that any of us could say or do or accomplish or have that would ever rescue us from the predicament that we find ourselves in currently. So let's turn the page, so to speak, and look a little bit closer at verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. I feel that this is the perfect gift from the perfect gift giver, but it's really not understood in its weight and its power till later on in the story. But as we walk through this, let's just look at what this gift is. First, when God sacrifices or kills an animal to cover Adam and Eve, that's a very gracious gift. It's a very gracious gift. 
Why don't we say that? Because they don't deserve this. They don't deserve for God to come to them and pursue them and be merciful and gracious to them. What actually do they, do they deserve in this moment? I mean, they deserve total extinction. I mean, he has every right, and in his justice and holiness, he could get rid of the whole lot of them, all two of them. But he doesn't. God doesn't owe them this. His mercy is at work here. They're learning something about the heart of God. If someone makes something that's, that's handcrafted for you and made by their... I mean, immediately, you're th- that is a gracious, kind act. So it has that element and that nature in the gift itself. It's also sacrificial. It's not cheap, it's costly. Most commentators believe this is the first time in history that something dies. The first death. It's an innocent animal. Adam and Eve deserve to die. But something dies in their place. A substitute. And as you begin to open up the Old Testament sacrificial system, you see that God is establishing a pattern from the very beginning that later, as we will see, points to Christ. So it's gracious, it's sacrificial, it's also very practical. Very practical. Why was this a practical gift? Because the suits that they made for themselves, just to be frank, were lame. (laughs) Those suits were lame. They were inadequate. Now, I know me, and I would have probably looked at God and said, Hey, what, what I got on is fine. <laughs> I mean, and God would say, No, it's not. <laughs> you need something a little more appropriate. You need something warmer. You need something more practical. And that's what God does. It met a real need. Replacing their inadequate clothing is something much better than what they made for themselves. It's also very thoughtful. It's a gracious gift, a sacrificial gift, a practical gift, and a very thoughtful gift on many levels. Just like Crystal's cup, that was a very thoughtful gift. Man, imagine the thought put into this one because you really can't find the beginning of the thought and you really can't come to the end of the thought because the Bible tells us that in eternity past, before the foundation of the world, God's works were already finished. Many times over in the New Testament, you find that He planned this. He sacrificed this. It was ordained in eternity past, before the world began. So we're opening up the story, and in this moment, we have a key that helps us interpret the rest of the Bible. And that key is that this was all planned, it was all intentional, that this wasn't haphazard, it wasn't accidental. But God was thinking about what Jesus would ultimately do from the very beginning. God declares the end from the beginning. And so looking back from New Testament eyes, we see, wow, this is very thoughtful because it reminds me of Jesus. It reminds me of the temple. 
One of my favorite Christmas mornings was my brother and I woke up and we found a key in one of our stockings. Uh, so you know that's not the end of the gift. We take that key outside and that key fit a new Kawasaki four-wheeler. So what did the key tell us? Oh, there's something more. This is to anticipate, and this foreshadows the joy you'll feel in just a few moments when you get to the real thing. That's kind of the way I see this verse, chapter 3, 21 of Genesis. Man, here is a key to understanding the holiness of God and the heart of God and the grace of God. Now, later on in his time, when the time is fulfilled and everything's right, the seed will come from a woman born under the law, subject to the law, and he'll live the perfect life that Adam and Eve should have lived but didn't, and we've inherited that fallen, sinful, corrupt nature. Just as you pour toxic poison at the head of the stream, the rest of the stream is corrupted. That's you, and that's me, and that's us. I'm just on the fact that this is a thoughtful gift of God. And we're getting into his heart and his mind that he is both holy and he is kind and he's merciful. It's also a very personal gift. Let me go back through it as we close this gift of a sermon to the end. It's gracious, it's sacrificial, it's practical, it's thoughtful, it's it's personal. God basically says to Adam and Eve, I made this just for you. Adam might say, I don't know about you, Eve, but mine fits pretty well. And Eve might say, you know, we're not the same size as you, but but mine fits well too. God, how did you know our size? It's funny that you ask. (laughs) Because I'm intimately acquainted with every detail of your life. And this is a personal gift from God to man and woman that fits just right. So it was said of Jesus, traditionally, that above the carpenter shop where Joseph, his earthly dad, worked with young Jesus... Their business slogan was, our yokes fit perfectly. And God knows exactly who you are, exactly what you've done, exactly where you are, and he knows exactly what will fit you just right. And I could not but help anticipate the story in Luke 15 where the prodigal returns to the father. And what does the father do? The father presents him with a better robe, his robe. And it covers him and it loves him and it forgives him. Can you imagine how that prodigal felt with that that perfect garment of righteousness covering him? That's what God has for you and me in Jesus. This is a very personal gift. And so really at the end of the day, I guess the number one question is, is have you personally received the gift? Have you accepted Christ as the Savior King that He is 
And is he ruling and reigning and changing your life? I'll close in just a moment, but before I do, those are five elements of the wondrous gift. And I think if you and I want to live this out in our daily lives, then we will model this the way Jesus modeled this. Yeah, this is a disoriented world, but Jesus is the way. And he will guide us along the way. It's a deceptive world, but Jesus is the truth and he is the light. It's a disruptive world, but there is peace and there is love from Christ to us. It's a difficult world, but Christ gives us endurance and hope. It's a world of death, but Christ brings into us eternal life that we possess now and in the future. And this is a world of displacement where we've been exiled, but there is a future in which life will be much better than the one we left and still long for and have a memory traced for in Eden. So all God's gifts are wrapped up in Christ. Those are five elements. Gracious, sacrificial, practical, thoughtful, personal. I added one yesterday after talking to Kyle. Last night at our Christmas Eve service, I updated our church on the fact that Kyle's wife, Barb, had a seizure yesterday. She was life-flighted to Grady. I texted him this morning. She's still holding about the same. And in my conversation with Kyle, I was thinking through some of the things that I was going to share this morning about the gift of God and how personal and sacrificial it is. But after talking with Kyle, I want to add one more word to this list of what makes a really good gift. And that's the word sufficient. Sufficient. And this gift is everything that I've said it was and is, but it also, let's add to that, it is enough. It is enough. Because Kyle said something, if, if she doesn't make it, because at the time it was touch and go, and he really, if she doesn't make it, he says, I will still believe and I will trust that this is God's will and that he's good. And it dawned on me that what Kyle is saying is that the gift of Jesus into the world doesn't necessarily fix everything for the moment. In fact, celebrating Christmas the way we do at times aggravates and multiplies the fallenness for a moment. But the true gift itself infuses us with a hope and a peace and a love and a joy that can never be taken away. When Jesus said, it is finished, he fulfilled what Genesis 3 was foretelling and foreshadowing. And his death and his resurrection really is enough. His grace is sufficient to deal fully with our sinfulness so that we might have forgiveness, to deal fully with this corrupt, fallen nature so that I can have a new life, a new nature, and so that nothing can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, which is what Adam and Eve were banished from in the beginning. And I could continue to go on and on. But this gift, and you know that, don't you? <laughs> this gift is enough. This gift is enough. In fact, if you do not receive this gift, I promise you there will never be enough. 
You will never have enough. He alone can fill this God-shaped void and ache that we've felt from the very beginning when we were exiled out of Eden. And you can fill it with everything this world has, but until He is Lord and King over your heart, soul, mind, and everything that you are, it will never feel like enough. Man, He is good. So I'm driving down the road. And I hear Nat King Cole, man, what a gift. And he's singing this song at Christmas. I'm like, Todd, let me find my words here. Have you ever prayed this prayer? I mean, in your heart of hearts, alone with God, with no one else. And Nat King Cole sang this this week to me through the radio. I felt like he... He was, he was being real. I have no idea, but it sounded real. Be near me, Lord Jesus, I ask thee to stay. Close by me forever, and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children with thy tender care, and fit us for heaven to live with thee there. You're an adult now, and you can't go back. But you can go forward to everything that God promises if you'll do one thing. One thing. And that's become again a little child. Become again a child believing in God with childlike faith and trust. There's the gift. There's the gift. Father, thank you this morning for the opportunity to on Christmas Day... Reflect on the wondrous gift you have given that is Christ our King. He came so gently and so small as a child and grew to be an adult and sacrificed himself. He lays down his life for us, the sheep, so that we might be forgiven and have a new nature and have a living hope that is heaven to come. And that is enough. It really is enough. May we all know that and experience that and believe that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You come as we sing. It came upon a midnight clear. Let's continue to worship Christ together. We're going to sing angels from the realms of glory. Stop. 
Thanks be to God. Hey, one more gift before we close, and I'd like to ask Bill and Tracy. And Bill has no idea this is coming. Bill and Tracy, come down here, please, ma'am and sir. A lot of changes happen in the course of life. In this past year, Bill, who had served so faithfully for I don't know how many years at the BCM on the campus of West Georgia. Give me, give me a number, Bill. 13, okay? So at the end of the year, what I and a couple other guys decided to do was contact pastors, alumni, uh, friends who might want to participate in this. And so here on Christmas morning, not just Glenlock, this is part of us and what we're giving, but we want to say thank you to Bill and Tracy because of some changes going on in the Georgia Baptist Convention, uh, Georgia Baptist Mission Board. A lot of local campus ministers, I mean local to their particular areas, were, were relieved of their position, for lack of a better, a better phrase. And Bill was one of those cuts. But I've seen Bill and Tracy not only here, but at West Georgia and in the kingdom at large serve very faithfully. So, Bill and Tracy, this is a Christmas gift from Glenlock and our association and other loving, kind people who want to say thank you, brother. Merry Christmas to you and Tracy. We're very grateful for y'all. Amen. I think, that's, I think that's it. Enjoy the rest of your day with your family. Catherine, will you close us out, please? We're going to end service with singing Jesus. There's something about that name. Christmas.